as you pass There are signboards on the windows Saying, wait here, second class And to me, the whir and thunder Cluck of running gear Seems to be forever saying, saying Second class, wait here Wait here, second class Second class, wait here Wait here, second class Second class, wait here Henry Lawson was a man of remarkable insight in some things and of extraordinary simplicity in others. We were both looking for the same reef, if you get what I mean. But I had done my prospecting on horseback with my meals cooked for me, while Lawson had done his prospecting on foot and had had to cook for himself. Nobody realised this better than Lawson, and one day he suggested that we should write against each other he putting the bush from his point of view, and I putting it from mine. Dr. Gregory Bryan just shared an excerpt from Andrew Barton, Banjo Patterson's account of his poetry battle with Henry Lawson. The account was published in the Sydney Morning Herald on February 11th, 1939. I'm Anne-Marie Hansen, and together with Professor Bryan, in today's episode of the Henry Lawson's Crumbs podcast, we discuss the famous bush battle between Henry Lawson and Banjo Patterson. Welcome, Dr. Brian. Welcome, Anne-Marie. It's nice to see you again. Excellent. Um, I wonder if before we dive into this battle, you might give us a little bit of a snapshot of what this battle was and who was involved, a sort of when, where, what, why type of introduction. In an earlier episode, we, we had discussed uh, Henry's time in Brisbane at the Boomerang newspaper. That was in 1891. And we said that he returned to Sydney after that job ended up. So now it's 1892 and Henry is struggling for money and some of his supporters like J.F. Archibald were concerned for his welfare. And as I read in the opening quote, Banjo credits Henry with coming up with the idea of making some money by engaging in a poetry battle in the bulletin. And Henry it's decided we'll argue that the bush is horrible while Banjo will continue with the theme of some of his earlier works like Clancy of the Overflow where he portrays the bush as wonderfully idyllic and desirable. So that's sort of the, the, the scenario they have set up for themselves. Didn't other people also though get involved? Yeah, well I think that Henry and Banjo did such a good job with their poetry, they created so much interest that others couldn't resist the urge to, to join in and to, to share their points of view as well. And it's also possible, of course, that like Henry, that they were just seeing this as an opportunity to, to raise some money for themselves by being paid for their poetry. But so, yes, yeah, so people like Edward Dyson and Francis Kenner, who were poets at the time, they weighed in and uh, shared their opinions. It's because of the fact that it wasn't just Henry Lawson then that we have titles like Banjo's poem, In Answer to Various Bards, rather than, say, In Answer to Henry Lawson, for instance. So, so these others weighed in as well as um, Banjo and Henry going back and forth. But it is interesting that the others that weighed in seemed to take Henry's side. 
and that is to say that they express the same sorts of views that Banjo's depictions of the bush were overly romantic and, and even too simplistic. They felt that Banjo's portrayal of life in the country uh, was sort of one endless picnic and their experiences had taught them that that was not the case. So perhaps being before we go much further, you might remind me and some of our listeners just who Banjo Patterson was. Right. So Banjo Patterson, so he was uh, born in, in rural New South Wales, the same as Henry. Banjo's about three and a half years older. Uh, like Henry, he was a, a poet and a short story writer, and the two did publish in many of the same newspapers and magazines. So, in fact, Banjo had been published in uh, the Bulletin, for instance, slightly before, I think it was just the, in the year before Henry's first poem was published there. Uh, and I mentioned when we discussed Henry's first books in a previous episode that Angus and Robertson, the publisher, began publishing Henry's works because they had published Banjo's book, um, The Man from Snowy River and Other Verses, and, and because that had done so remarkably well. So it was because of Banjo's success that they began to, uh, to publish Henry. So in terms of the market for their work in their books and in their um, newspapers and magazines, they were, you know, they were very similar. And, and you've said to me previously that uh, much of, or some of at least, Henry's writing can be gloomy or dark, which is, certainly is true. And Banjo took a generally took a more positive, optimistic view of things. So he, you know, particularly life in the bush and, and depictions of life in the bush. So I mentioned that Banjo was a little older, but he was considerably more settled than was the case with Henry. He was a solicitor in Sydney, so he was doing quite well. And I'd mentioned also in an earlier episode that because he was a solicitor, that it was he who had crafted Henry's publishing contract uh, with Angus and Robertson. So the two knew each other, although, of course, that was to come later, that particular uh, contract was to come later in 1896 and again we're in 1892 at this stage but in terms of their differences though Henry came from parents who worked a failed selection and Banjo on the other hand he was the eldest son of a recently deceased grazier so he you know he was about to inherit land uh, he was refined a well-educated gentleman a fine horseman and an accomplished polo player, for instance. So I guess in some ways we might consider Banjo to sort of be an, an upper-class version of Henry Lawson. I find it fascinating in Chapter 4 of your book, Mates, you, which is titled Dueling Poets, you give a, a little bit of background about this battle and you mention that there was some disagreement around who started it. Could you tell us about the various versions of why or how the battle came to be? Yeah, well, as you said, uh, the quote that I opened today's podcast with came from Banjo Patterson in 1939. So that year, he published in the Sydney Morning Herald a series of five autobiographical articles over five consecutive Saturdays. And he talked about a variety of things in, in those articles. 
and a variety of people as well, including the poet uh, Breaker Morant, for instance. And Banjo wrote there about knowing the Breaker and knowing uh, James Francis Thomas, who had actually been the lawyer who represented the Breaker in the trial that led to his execution. So, I mean, the, the, these are some of the sorts of things that Banjo talked about in, the, in these autobiographical pieces. But anyway, in the second installment, the second of the five installments, Banjo wrote about his relationship with Henry. And it was there that uh, he said it was Henry's idea. You know, it was Henry that came up with the idea of the bush battle. Uh, but it is worth remembering that this is 1939. So Henry was dead 17 years by this stage. And, and the bush battle itself had taken place well, almost 50 years earlier. Now, when Henry's widowed wife, Bertha, read those articles, she was upset. So she wrote to the newspaper, to the Sydney Morning Herald, and said that Henry and Banjo, she claimed, had not even met before um, these, these poems were published, before this bush battle occurred. However, this doesn't seem accurate. And I, the significance of her saying they hadn't even met is she's saying, well, there's no way that Henry came up with this idea and suggested it to Banjo because they didn't know one another. But this, as I say, this doesn't seem accurate. And certainly, you know, I ref have referred in the past to Colin Roderick as sort of the uh, Lawson authority. And, and he, 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 he has no doubt that the two poets did uh, know each other. In fact, were very well acquainted before this time. And, and the, same, the same opinion is true for other historians. So Bertha claimed that they didn't know each other, but history and the facts of history seems, seem to suggest that they did. And of course, it's worth remembering too that Bertha herself didn't appear on the scene until a few years later. And so she was at best only a second-hand witness, whereas Banjo was one of the people involved. So, I mean, you know, I, I certainly believe Banjo's point of view. Um, now, Bertha, Bertha wrote in this letter to the, uh, to the Sydney Morning Herald, she wrote, he, she wrote, Henry felt the wrongs of the people and the suffering of the women and the children of the bush and the bravery of the men too keenly to stage a mock battle in the press for paltry gain. So that was the position she took. And it's a nice sentiment. And, it, you know, it's probably quite accurate in terms of the way that Henry felt about the people in the bush and the, and the you know, the struggles that they were enduring. And she's saying, well, you know, he, he wouldn't have, uh, I guess, used them in that way to make a little bit of money. But uh, I think that uh, those sentiments are true. You know, Henry had been a had struggled in the bush himself as a youth and of course had watched his mother struggling on the selection in the absence of his father when he was away uh, painting and building so so yes the sentiment is an accurate it sounds accurate in terms of Henry Lawson and his character but I do think that uh, as with everything that Bertha wrote about Henry after his death it was, it was, well, it was certainly different to the things that she wrote about him when they were going through their uh, separation, for instance. And, and that's understandable, too, of course. But I think that at the time, so again, it's well after Henry Lawson has died, 17 years earlier, I think that uh, after Henry died, uh, Bertha, quite 
admirably and, and rightly, she was trying to esteem the memory of the father of her children. And so she certainly presents a, a much rosier portrayal of Henry than, than she did at other times. And so, again, that's understandable. But this is why she dismissed, I think, this is why she dismissed Banjo's view of things that, uh, that uh, you know, Henry, as she would have seen it, you know, that Henry was using the bush or the bush people and she was trying to suggest that that was something that uh, Henry, you know, wouldn't have even considered because he was above that. You sent me a series of six of the bush paddle battle poems, not including the Dyson and Kenna contributions. What, is that the complete set of the Bush Battle poems? Well, lots of people consider them to be, but but I wouldn't. It, it sort of depends what you count. I mean, certainly the others and Henry himself, in their responses, they, they referred, say, for instance, to uh, Clancy of the Overflow, and that was written earlier. That was before this period. And so, you know, it, it, again, it sort of de depends how far back you go. It, it's generally considered to be starting with uh, Henry's poem, Borderland. And that's probably where the, the actual battle that they had agreed to began in, in the bulletin. But their references then went back elsewhere. And, and certainly Banjo as well makes reference to lots of... Uh, Henry's other stories and other poems. So, I mean, it, again, it really depends what you count. But, yeah, most people considered just these six poems between themselves and then, as you said, these other po poets as well. But I think that really that's probably incomplete to just to think of that because if you just think of those, well, then you don't get many of the references that they make to one another and one another's work. It's interesting that you mentioned references because I, as I was reading, noticed a lot of direct and indirect or allusions to each other's works. So for one, uh, one example, Patterson wrote of Lawson, he says, or he writes, now for instance, Mr. Now for instance, Mr. Lawson, well, of course we almost cried at the sorrowful description, how little, how his little Arvey died. And we lacrimosed in silence when his father's mate was slain. Then he went and killed the father, and we had to weep again. It seems that Banjo thought Lawson was rather preoccupied with the killing off <laughs> of all his characters, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, certainly, uh, he certainly did. I mean, even just in that excerpt that you just read, you know, so he, has re he makes references there to the R.V. Aspinall stories, and he makes reference to his father's mate and the, the, um, uh, the character of Eiley. So, yes, I mean, again, they're not considered to be part of this bush battle, but they are discussed in the bush battle. So, I mean, that's going back to my response to the previous question. But, yes, I mean, even in, in what you just read, in that same stanza, Henry, can, uh, sorry, Banjo continues and he specifies three more of Lawson's characters, of Henry's characters. He, he mentions kill, the killing off of Ben Duggan and Jack Denver and Jack Dunn. And, and then after that, he wrote, So no doubt the bush is wretched if you judge it by the groan of the sad and soulful poet with a graveyard of his own. So Banjo think to, seemed to think that if you were a character of Lawson's, you were probably going to end up dead. 
And so Lawson needed his own graveyard just because he killed off so many people in his poems and stories. Well, I was just thinking of another example where Lawson wrote about Patterson's work. Would you like to change with, with Clancy? Go a droving, tell us true. For we rather think that Clancy would be glad to change with you. And this is obviously a reference to Banjo's Clancy of the Overflow, where he wrote, and I somehow rather fancy that I'd like to change with Clancy, like to take a turn at droving where the seasons come and go. While he faced the round eternal of the cash book and the journal, but I doubt he'd suit the office, Clancy, of the overflow. Right. So in, in, in the Bush battle, uh, there's someone who used the initials HHCC, and we, we don't know who that is. I've seen it suggested that uh, Henry Lawson himself, but uh, I don't know where the evidence for that is. But so this, this unknown person, HHCC, he wrote a poem called The Overflow of Clancy. And Francis Kenner wrote a poem called Banjo of the Overflow. So they were certainly getting into this attack on banjo by um, sort of mocking this uh, Clancy of the this romantic view of Clancy of the overflow and uh, Kenner wrote but I somehow often fancy that I'd rather not be Clancy that I'd like to be the banjo where the people come and go when instead of framing curses I'd be writing charming verses Though I scarcely think he'd swap me, Banjo, the overflow. And then this, this unknown HHCC wrote, If the banjo's game to fill it, he is welcome to my billet. He can take a turn at droving, wages three and six a day. And his throat'll get more gritty than mine will in the city, where with Mr Lawson's squashes I can wash the dust away. So they certainly were making fun of Banjo and suggesting that uh, this idea of um, Banjo's poem where he expressed this desire to swap with Clancy, that, uh, well, Banjo was welcome to it. If he wanted to do that, he was welcome to do it. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Dyson's mocking and Kenna's similar uh, making fun of the, the writing. Uh, as I was reading through this series of six, I was struggling to determine the tone because at, at times I was reading it very tongue in cheek and quite playful. And then other times or as other lines, I would read it felt quite personal. So despite like what is the tone? What is the tone of these poems? Is it consistent? And did it get personal at times? Yeah, I think it did. I think uh, I think that generally you're right to to think that it was tongue in cheek and that it was playful and you know it was agreed upon. So um, they were doing what they had said that said to one another they would do. So I think that generally that's true. However, I do think that there were occasions when when things did get personal, and uh, I think that they perhaps even you know may have hurt one another's feelings. Uh, in his poem, In Defense of the Bush, Banjo wrote, So you're back from up the country, Mr. Lawson, where you went, and you're cursing all the business in a bitter discontent. Well, we grieve to disappoint you, and it makes us sad to hear that it wasn't cool and shady and there wasn't plenty beer. 
And of course, this is only a really thinly veiled reference to Henry's well-known drinking problems. Uh But then Henry seemed to almost dismiss Banjo as nothing more than a city toff. In, In the poem, In Answer to Banjo and Otherwise, Henry wrote, It was pleasant up the country, Mr. Banjo, where you went, for you sought the greener patches and you traveled like a gent. So Lawson claimed that Patterson didn't really know the bush, certainly didn't know the bush people, the people of the bush, because he had a, well, a silver spoon in his mouth. So Henry found it ironic that uh, Banjo enjoyed the benefits of his city life and his city law business while supposedly, you know, simultaneously longing to get to the bush, uh, Henry wrote, the city seems to suit you while you rave about the bush. And what he's really saying there is that if Banjo loved the bush so much, why didn't he just leave Sydney and go and live in the bush? So I think he's really calling Banjo a hypocrite. So how did this battle come to an end? Was there a winner? Well, I like the way that Banjo talked about this idea of there being a winner. Because first, going back to these these 1939 uh, articles, he said that they slam-banged away at each other for weeks and weeks. So I love that term. They slam-banged away at each other. He said they continued to do this not until they stopped us, but until we ran out of material. Now, in terms of a, a winner, Banjo conceded, this is what he wrote. I think that Lawson put his case better than I did. Hmm. But interestingly, though, Banjo continued, he said, but I had the better case. So in other words, Banjo felt that he was right. It's just that Henry had uh, done a better job with the argument. So I think that that's an interesting take on it. And so Banjo concluded the honours, or as he said, the dishonours were fairly equal. He said it was an undignified affair, but it was a case of root hog or die. Now, this is a peculiar saying that uh, mm-hmm. that I've never heard anyone use, but I did look it up, and it seems that it's an old saying, an old reference to farmers letting their pigs run wild, and in other words, looking after themselves, so they had to root around to find their own food, and if they didn't do that, they would die of starvation. So I think that Banjo is saying that the pigs needed to fend for themselves and and effectively that's what he and Henry were doing too, was uh, fending for themselves, a root hog or die. Anyway, going back to your question about about a winner, Banjo conceded that Henry was probably the winner, but that he, Banjo, was probably right. And this is interesting to compare that to Henry because during this period, Henry traveled to Burke And as soon as he got there, he wrote a letter to his auntie and he wrote about the train journey that he'd taken from Sydney to Burke and what he'd seen of the country on this this train journey. And he wrote in his letter to, to his auntie, he wrote, The bush between here and Bathurst is horrible. I was right and Banjo wrong. Country very dry and dull. And another interesting little detail with regard to Henry's arrival in Burke is that when he got there he booked into the Great Western Hotel and at that hotel he found a copy of the bulletin lying around that had one of his bush battle poems in it. He didn't specifically say which one it was 
but he said that it was his answer to banjo. And given that he arrived in Burke in early September, the poem was almost certainly the one that was actually entitled In Answer to Banjo and Otherwise. Uh, that, that was later republished in books as The City Bushman. Uh, because that poem had been uh, published in the bulletin in August. So with the arrival at the start of September, that's almost certainly the, uh, the poem in the, well, that's the copy of the bulletin that he found. But the point is that, so Henry's in Burke, and he's actually about to endure some incredibly difficult times in, in the bush, in the country, in the outback. And so if he thought the bush was tough before he went to Burke, He's really going to uh, have that idea reinforced. And in fact, once he returns from Burke, he thinks of the bush probably as, I don't know, maybe even 10 times tougher than he previously had thought it was when he was engaged in this bush battle. That leads us very nicely to our next episode. Next time, we are going to begin to talk about those experiences at and around Burke that you believe shaped Lawson's writing for the rest of his life. I understand we are going to have a special guest with us, one who has walked with you in the outback footsteps of Henry Lawson. It will be very interesting to learn more about your experiences with your brother chasing Henry Lawson in the Australian outback. Yep, I'm looking forward to that. It's time for us to wrap up. So in closing, once again, we would like to thank John Schumann for his kind permission to use excerpts from his Lawson album with the Vagabond crew. We also wish to thank David Minia, who was the executive producer of the album. It is a wonderful album, and I'm sure that Lawson fans, if you don't already have it, that you will enjoy adding it to your collection. As I said, the album is simply entitled Lawson. We use an excerpt from the song second class wait here as a part of our entry to the podcast and as a part of our exit or our uh, conclusion to the podcast we use a short excerpt from the song to an old mate now lawson fans will know that both of those second class wait here and to an old mate are both lawson poems so the album is a collection of henry lawson's poems set to music and presented as songs by John Schumann and the Vagabond crew. In addition to those two that I mentioned, there's a number of other of Henry Lawson's poems. Uh, the Glass on the Bar, for instance, is a very well-known poem of Henry Lawson's. Faces in the Street, certainly one of Henry's most famous poems. Scots of the Riverina is another one that's well-known, and so is The Shame of Going Back. So those poems and many others are included on the Lawson album, John Schumann and the Vagabond Crew. And this year, when we recognize the 100th anniversary of Lawson's passing, we also encourage people to check out the Henry Lawson Memorial and Literary Society, uh, at whose request this podcast came to be. So thank you very much, Anne-Marie. Thank you for clarifying the bush battles. I remember, oh man, I remember The tracks that we followed to clear The jovial last nights of December The solemn first days of the year Long tramps through the clearings of the timber Short partings on platform and pier 
I remember, oh man, I remember The tracks that we followed our clear 